Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. So we're beginning with the Torah portion of uh, Shemot, which is uh, Exodus uh, chapter 1. We're going to be uh, going through, as you see there, we'll be going through the first verse of chapter 6. And one of the, the great things of this particular part is we are starting a journey, but it is a journey that we've already been on going through Barashit or Genesis. And we will see that this is also a journey that we'll be taking to get closer to God as God is further unveiled uh, to the world and to the people of Israel. And we've done a lot of studies on this particular passage over the years, and you can get to them all at halal.info slash p13. And uh, talking about some of those things that we've gone over over the years, uh, here are some interesting studies of notes that you will find at that link and find links to more information on them. One of which we've taken a look at is where uh, Moshe is a, uh, a messianic figure, a forerunner, a foreshadower. We were talking about uh, shadows, uh, shadows and what the, the festivals point to and why shadows are important. And we've covered in the past uh, how Moshe and Yeshua the Mashiach, or uh, Jesus the Christ, how they are connected and how you have um, the uh, first Redeemer being encapsulated and uh, repeated to a great degree, but in a greater manner with the second redeemer or the last redeemer that comes through and as we will see when we get into the book of devarim or deuteronomy we will see that there is the prophecy that um, moshe has given that there will become a prophet a prophet like him and like after him that uh, will come at a later point in time and that the people of israel should listen to him so, that's part of the reason why you see on the, the vision, the Mount of Transfiguration, where you see the figures of Moshe, and you see the vision of Eliyahu, or Elijah, there together with him. Because you have the, the one who was going to come in the manner like Moshe, and then you had the forerunner who was to turn the hearts of the children to the parents and the parents back to the children before the coming of the great day of the Lord. And that was the, what Eliyahu's mission was. So you have them both there witnessing together that this was uh, the one who was to come, the, the great prophet who was to come, the one like Moshe who was to come, the great redeemer like Moshe who was to come. We've also talked a, in a previous study about Exodus chapters 1 and 2 and about the rise of Moshe. And actually, in a, 
in a previous uh, Torah club, we were talking about the parallels uh, between the nativity story of Yeshua and also the nativity story of Moshe and about the the bulrushes and you even see quoted there in the Gospels uh, a passage that's uh, similar and riffing on the the prophets where they uh, they tie to that uh, item that we saw in the passage here today about uh, Israel being the son the son of God and out of Israel I have called my son and that being in the life of uh, young Yeshua when they fled to Egypt and then back to the land when Herod was looking to kill the young Yeshua, that you see is a, a potential fulfillment for that. But we also see in the greater scheme of things that, and this is a good part of what we're going to focus on today, that this theme of deliverance from the oppressing power who thinks they have control of the situation but really doesn't is a theme not only for this first exodus but the great exodus the final exodus that that comes the great um leaving of people out of the the nation the oppressing nation of bondage and toward the final time when the kingdom of heaven reigns over all the earth. We also had a study where we looked at the first three chapters that was looking at <laughs> the first uh, 80 years of Moshe's life. It's kind of uh, divided into chunks of, uh, of you know, three sections of 40 years, and very interesting and uh, completely coincidental time periods of uh, 40 years being involved there. And how each of these uh, chapters, you get 40 years and then 40 years of, um, you could say, getting a time out there in Midian and then returning and then leading Israel for 40 years. And then we also have a study where we were looking at Exodus chapters 4 and 5, where we see uh, Moshe in his return uh, to Mitzrayim with Aharon. And we also talked a lot about this uh, seemingly strange incident where uh, his wife from Midian, Sephora, uh, does this emergency circumcision on the way. And we delved into what bridegroom of blood is all about so that again is at halal.info slash p13 and goes into a lot more detail on that particular one so just a quick summary of where we're at here with uh, shemot the 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 major themes of what this section is covering it's you get the first chapter where the people of Israel are multiplying like the stars in the heavens and the sand on the seashore. And you see that theme being brought up. We saw it back in uh, when the, the great prophecy was given to Avraham that his descendants were going to be like the stars in the heaven and the uh, sand on the seashore. That's a, a recurring um, prediction for the legacy of Israel. Then you see in Exodus chapter 2, that this deliverer comes in the fullness of time. So again, like with the first deliverer, the second deliverer, the great deliverer, 
also comes in the fullness of time. You see that in the Gospels where they talk about not only his birth coming in the fullness of time, but also his ministry and his, uh, the, the final act there of um, that last great Passover with uh, his death and resurrection also comes in the fullness of time and also involves memorials that memorials around all of these particular way markers along the way exodus chapters three and four has a foreshadowing of emmanuel which uh, means um, elohim or el is with us el is dwelling with us so god dwelling with us so just like with the first deliverer also with the second or the great deliverer with yeshua and we see a number of these undercurrents here, and that's a good part of what we'll be focusing on today, is this uh, great and seemingly strange presentation that God is with them. But as we were seeing at the last part of our <laughs> section in chapter 5 and beginning part of chapter 6, that uh it seems, okay, Emmanuel, God with us, but are you really with us? Uh, and we see a lot of people are uh, crying out that, hey, uh, we didn't realize freedom would cost so much. <laughs> you say you're going to free us, but it uh, seems like this is costing us quite a bit in the process. So, that is the, the grand overview of where we're going, and th this is setting the stage of not only we're talking about the the names the the legacy of Israel going into Mitzrayim into the house of bondage and then coming out of the house of bondage to um, dwell and to meet God at the mountain of God but you also see that in this section is also about the name you know the great legacy of heaven uh, is introduced and carries through. So, who are the people actually going to depend on? Are they going to depend on their name, their reputation, their strength, their ability to meet their quotas? Or are they going to depend upon the reputation of the one who took their uh, the whole family from Avraham took him out of the land where he was at, established him in the land, said, this is going to be your inheritance. And then you will have uh, the miraculous um, the miraculous children that came forward from Avraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov. And then you see also here the miraculous children who come in this seen as we open up in these first chapters of Shemot and as we move forward. So the key question is, is what is the miraculous legacy of Israel? Is it because they're so strong? Is it because they're so wise? Because they're so smart? Because they're so uh, blessed with wealth? Or is it what the Lord is providing, even when you think, eh, wow, <laughs> if, if this is what you're providing, we don't want anything to do with it. So, one of the uh, things that yeah, this week has been quite earth-shattering for a lot of people around the world, and especially here in our particular country, because, you know, this very 
disturbing imagery that we have of what happened in our nation's capital. But it is a great starting point for a discussion because this is something that we see as we travel through the word is in where do you place your hope? Where do you place your trust? And not only in people, but in movements, do you place your trust in structures? Do you place your trust in nations? Where is it that you place your trust? And if the trust is broken, what is it that you want to do about it? Now, you know, we might agree or disagree with the with the measures that were taken and how far people went in the reprehensible behavior that finally resulted from that, but at the start of it, you're like, people, we want to be free. We are sick of the oppression. We want to be free. But how do you become free? And one of the things that I was drawn to this week with this is a scene that we will see coming up later on <laughs> and as we get really into uh, the book of um, the book of Numbers, because in that book of Numbers, you will see as they get ready to enter the land, a part of trusting the Lord and going into the land, when they think that, oh, the way is too hard, there's no way we can go in on our own power, the walls are too big, the giants are too big, we, we, we cannot do this on our own. Basically, they are reminded, yes, you cannot do this on your own. And then when the Lord said, because you won't trust me, you're going to now have to wander around for 40 years. So, good, <laughs> good part of that uh, third, third 40 of um, Moshe's life is wrapped up with this wandering period because the people would not trust the Lord and the Lord's provision, the Lord's deliverance. So, thus they were going to go wander. Well, they didn't like that idea. They didn't like the fact that, wow, we should have uh, taken the Lord's provision from the outset and gone in with faith. But when they realized the Lord is not with you, and when the Lord said, hey, don't go because I won't be with you, they decided to go up anyway. And they were, <laughs> they were sadly beaten back and uh, defeated, very tragically. So, we in all this have a reminder from the history of Israel, the history of our particular country, and the history of the people of God throughout time, that we have to be extremely careful in how we go forward and how we decide that we are going to, quote, take, take the land. Now, and a little bit of a reminder on this through Israel's history you see some great examples of uh, great examples of how Israel has persisted, even though there were tyrants that they lived under and lived with. But we see throughout time and throughout Israel's history that the tyrants have come and gone. But what has happened to the people as a result of this? And these are just highlights of it where. Uh, some that we have seen in in uh, so far here, we just closed out with uh, Genesis 
with uh, the account of Yosef. We, we saw in those chapters uh, that, that in Genesis that he came in as a captive and hauled off, <laughs> sold by his, his brothers to become a captive in Mitzrayim. Yet, he dwelled there. He, he thrived there. And this talked about the Lord was with him. We saw that in several occasions there. And that king that he was under um, went down, and sadly, there was none, another one that came up after him. But Israel with Yosef persisted. But then Israel, under the next king that didn't know who Yosef was, now enslaved Israel. So Israel is captive there. But Israel persisted beyond and as we continue on with the book of exodus we will see that that king that israel was oppressed by was brought down and we see that the lord was telling israel several times in the passage we just looked at hey this king who's oppressing you he will be um made low he will be made he thinks he's got the high ground but he will actually be made low in the process but are you willing to trust me? And further on in Israel's history, we saw as they were conquering the land, they were, you could say, sort of captive by Philistia and Edom and different times, the surrounding nations around Israel throughout the, the kings of Israel had got little chunks and pieces um, oppressing uh, various parts of the land throughout time. But... Where are those nations now? Those nations went away. Those nations were conquered. They went under. But Israel survives. Now, granted, it is a remnant of Israel that continues to survive through each of these times. But as we go on later on in Israel's history to the point of where they break into two, the northern kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel in the north, um, headquartered eventually around uh, Samaria, and the kingdom of the south, the kingdom of Yehuda, the kingdom of the north, gets taken by Assyria. The great empire of Assyria comes and exiles the northern kingdoms. Later on, the southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Yehuda, gets exiled to Babylon. But even with that, with the exiles who go off into Babylon, we read about the, the prophet Daniel, and he was lived under Babylon and its successor, Persia. And he thrived, rose to very high office, and you would say, wow, that's, uh, he served some pretty reprehensible people, some tyrants. Yes, we, we know from history what these tyrants were like, what Nebuchadnezzar was like, we know what Darius was like, we know who these people were like in history. Yet, Israel persisted. Israel was thought to have brought down to nothing, but it turned out that even through these tyrants, even through one particular tyrant who was anointed to restore Israel, uh, Cyrus, and one of the Cyruses, that he would actually be an instrument that would bring back Israel and then we, as we got Purim coming up here, is a time we remember another 
uh, segment under the segment of Persia during the exiles where uh, Mordecai and Hadassah or Esther, how they thrived while under the thumb, under the thumb of the tyrants of, of Persia, Xerxes, etc. And then later on, we have Ezra and Nehemiah returning while still under the thumb of an empire of Persia. But still, Israel survives, Israel thrives, even there, though with Ezra and Nehemiah was a, a, a remnant. Later on in history, this remnant persists. They rebuilt the walls, rebuilt the temple. And then you have Persia has gone the way, and now Greece has gone, come and gone, and now you have the uh, kingdom uh, that the breakup of Greece in one of those kingdoms, Seleucia. And Israel is, again, a vassal there, a vassal of the Seleucid Empire. And you see the oppression that comes under one particular uh, Seleucid king. Uh, and under that particular king, Israel is made to have a choice. Are you going to continue to follow God's ways, to teach your children the Torah? Or are you going to save your own skin and the skin of your um, children by doing away with all that? And we see a remnant in that case, the faithful, um, given the name Maccabees, various iterations of what Maccabees is, uh, perhaps is a Hebrew uh, acronym, but they are the ones who hold fast to, and they are given by a miraculous del deliverance over the Seleucid army in that case, and they are able to put the temple in Jerusalem back into operation for the one who it was originally built for, the one who originally built the nation of Israel and gave it, gave it its purpose, gave it its meaning. Otherwise, it's just a nation like any other nation that's been on the earth. Why is it of any significance? Why should it continue to persist? What is it that is worth conserving? And what is worth casting aside and, and not having to continue? And then we see later on, as the Seleucids go, go the way, um, uh, and then you have Rome come in, being actually brought in uh, as an um, ally, then later <laughs> a protectorate for um, Rome that Israel is made into. So it becomes then eventually a, a province, a, a sector under Roman governors eventually. And then still, Israel persists. And it's even in that context that you have the Mashiach actually comes and starts establishing the beachhead for the kingdom of God. This beachhead in the, the twelve. The twelve that then become many scattered across. And the word of the Lord then gets scattered across and takes root in many places of the world. And then as we see in both the prophets and in Revelation and the, uh, the apocalyptic 
apostolic writings, you see also that the people of God, Israel, becomes the target for the, the final push of the forces that are against God. And it even gets to a point where you read in Zechariah where you have a large percentage. And Zechariah talks about uh, two-thirds of the people of Israel uh, fall under the assault of the beast. And Mashiach talks about in Matthew 24 about the great persecution that's going to come upon the people of God. Where, you know, it's like he mentions, you know, pray that when you have to get out of the situation that it's not going to be in the winter or on Shabbat. Is almost a little bit of a hint back to the, the first Maccabean situation where they had to finally make a decision as to are you going to defend yourselves if you're attacked on Shabbat? Because the enemy knew, hey, that's the perfect time to attack because they won't do anything. So they had to realize, well, is the Shabbat a um, death pact? that you uh, will observe Shabbat even as people die? Or what are you going to do if you are attacked? So, we see that throughout Israel's history, and this is just a very brief overview of uh, thousands of years of Israel's history, even up to our present day and beyond to the day of the Lord, that Israel has persisted as tyrants have desisted or stopped ceased they've stopped to be their power has gone away they've been deposed just as what we read about in the section here today in shemot that's just as the pharaoh was going to be brought low when he think when he thought he was so high so the powers that are going against israel throughout time when they think they have the high hand will be brought low and as we saw in our little summary list, there are times when Israel thought it was gr- very high and it was brought low and through the point of exile to the point where the Lord said, uh, I will have to uh, send you away to then win you back, buy you back into the family as the, the great, um, you know, the great you know, remarriage of the family of God. But, again, it is a remnant of the people. As the Apostle Paul brings in his, his illustration of the, the great tree that God planted there in Romans chapter 11, that there will be natural branches that are cut off, and wild branches, those who decide to cling on to God, they will be grafted in. They will be grafted into the family and all that the heritage of Israel is about. But, as he warns those wild branches, they don't become haughty against the natural branches because you were grafted in and others were cut off because the natural branches can easily be brought back in again. And one of the key reasons why that is, is those who are (laughs) born into the, the, the family of God and with a deep knowledge of the oracles of God throughout the, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, you know, once you have the alignment like the Apostle Paul himself, where he says, hey, 
the Mashiach is Yeshua, that for him, he made the shift over and became a great and powerful um, tool in the kingdom of the Lord because he already knew so much about the kingdom of the Lord and what the Mashiach was going to be about versus a wild branch that's brought in you basically have a uh call it a learning curve it's a very steep learning curve of where you are had to become acquainted with the lord now uh for for those that have uh, grown up around or have the the legacy of the the kingdom of heaven and have great respect for the the hebrew scriptures and have learned them them deeply that the learning curve is not so steep but still, you have to, to realize uh, where everything is built upon, as the Mashiach himself said there in Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 17 through 19, where he says, you know, I'm not, as the, the preface to the great Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, I'm not coming to change, to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, to fulfill them, to pleru them, to fill them up with purpose just like you pleru all righteousness you fill up all righteousness bring it into greatness and not one little bit of it is going to pass away until heaven and earth pass away so we see that this is the great legacy and this is what all nations are being brought into every word that proceeds from the mouth of god as we will see when we get to deuteronomy chapter 8 We'll see that that uh, the one outcome of the wandering in the wilderness is learning to trust in the Lord. As you're learning to trust in the Lord, as we see in this particular passage we're looking at with Shemot, of learning to trust in the Lord as he is <laughs> wrenching the fingers of Pharaoh off of Israel, but also teaching Israel to have their fingers gripping closely onto the Lord and what he's, his direction is, who he truly is, which is a big part of where we're going next. So with this legacy then, um, one of the things we see in Hosea chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, um, we see a example of where we're going with this great movement out of Mitzrayim, out of the house of bondage into freedom. It is a picture of things that are to come. And at this time, he was speaking to the generation of the exiles. So this was a freedom yet to come again. Um, so starting out in verse 1 of chapter 12, Ephraim feeds on wind. Um, again, Ephraim is uh, kind of a catchphrase for the, the northern kingdoms, the uh, kingdom of Israel. Ephraim feeds on wind and pursues the east wind continually. He multiplies lies and violence. Moreover, he makes a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Mitzrayim. The Lord also has a dispute with Yehuda and will punish Yaakov according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity he contended with God. 
Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Beit El, and there he spoke with us. Even the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord is his name. Therefore, return to your God, observe kindness and justice, and wait for your God continually. A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, Surely I've become rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors they will find me, no equity which would be sin. But I have, I have been the Lord your God since the land of Mitzrayim. I will make you live in tents again, as in the days of the appointed festival. I have spoken also to the prophets, and I give numerous visions, and through the prophets I gave parables. So, with this, we have a message both to the northern kingdom, Ephraim, and to the southern kingdom of uh, Yehuda. So, this is a message here to both of them. And they think, as Ephraim is mentioned here in the midst part of this, this um, proclamation, that surely I become rich and found wealth for myself. As we've seen as we study the the precursors to the exiles uh, in previous sessions, we've seen that this self-sufficiency is one of the things that is a beginning part of the downfall. Once the people stop realizing how it is that they have come to become blessed, come to become uh, special, called to become uh, people of the Lord, and the blessings that come with that, and the tools that come with that, if the people decide that they don't want to associate with the one, they don't want to cling to, they don't want to follow the one who brought them there, then a part of the, the disciplining of the one that the Lord loves is to say, okay, you are going to have to be disciplined by another nation. But you know, the Lord also says that if that nation that I've sent to discipline gets too haughty themselves and thinks, hey, I've done this, well, they will be brought low as well. So, one of the things that we see in this as well is that uh, a looking back to saying, okay, Ephraim, you thought you were so great and you have all this wealth. Well, I will make you live in tents again. And that's a, a looking forward to the time of the exodus and the wandering in the, in the wilderness. That, that time when they would have to trust in God. And as we get on into exodus, we'll see trust in God for the daily bread, for the manna that would come. Trust in God for the water that they would drink. Trust in God for the safety that the travel through the Red Sea and the destruction of the army of Mitzrayim that was following them to drag them back into servitude, that that would be taken care of for them, that they would be given true freedom, freedom from the attacking army. But one of the <laughs> things that the Lord gives is he gives numerous visions and parables. And what are the visions and parables? You know, we see these great visions. They are sometimes strange. They get strange imagery. We're like, what on earth are they supposed to be telling us? 
Now, I'm not saying that this is a, a parable from the Lord, but it is something that is particular when we're in this week, when we've got all this turmoil in our nation, and we look back to the legacy of our forerunners in faith when they went through turmoil, where they were thinking, are we going to do this on our own strength? You know, And then when you see the things, the safety that, that where they thought that they had built was being taken away, the quote, good life that they had of being provided straw was now taken away and they would have to fend for themselves by the one who said that they were going to, it was going to deliver them, that this way was difficult. So what sort of vision do you need to have over it? And um, I, I know, sadly, you might think of this as being a strange parable, but the instant I thought of this, I thought of Buzz Lightyear and his catchphrase uh, was to infinity and beyond. To infinity and beyond. And you think, well, okay, this, is this kind of a trite thing that we're going through in a particular crisis like this? But to infinity and beyond. Do you know how you could rephrase that in Hebrew? Let olam va'ed. Let olam va'ed, which is, you know, you could say it's translated forever and ever but you know literally you know i say olam is like the world but really it's the things that are out of view like over the horizon so to over the horizon and beyond to infinity and beyond so we need to have a vision like what the lord has and there's a picture of the apollo missions where from one of the command capsules as it was orbiting the moon on one of the moon missions uh took a view of the earth from the moon. So <laughs> this particular picture, you're looking over the horizon of the moon and you see the earth. And this is just a small view of looking over the horizon to the things that we can't see. Until the 1960s, we could not see this view. Well, this is just one tiny little view of the reality that is all around us that the Lord has always seen. And the Lord is giving us a vision of this when he reveals things through our words and tells us to trust him that he actually sees things in the future. So, when we then look at uh, this passage here in the section we're looking at today in, in Shemot, we're in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Mitzrayim, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious place, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Mitzrayim. So, some key things that you see in this particular passage. The Lord is saying, I have seen this affliction. I have heard them crying out, because you saw in the earlier chapters of this particular section, the people were crying out to the Lord. 
the Lord heard them. The Lord remembered. Um, it sounds very similar to what you see related to the flood, where you have that phrase, the Lord remembered you know, Noah. And remember Noah in the ark there during the flood. What, did he forget? No, he sent the flood. How could he forget about the people in the boat that he told them to build? This is one of the things that you see again and again and again when you have a um, you have an active word like remember it is also something that says uh, you could say putting a down payment upon that this is truly going to happen this is not just oh yeah i remember that and then quickly forget about it forget about it as you move on to something else no this is remember to put something into action so remembering affliction remembering suffering and then also saying i will deliver i remember i know what's going on and i will deliver and then you see the putting that into action the active remembering then with the commissioning of the deliverer with the commissioning of moshe saying okay i've seen the suppression and you moshe may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Mitzrayim. And continuing on, so Moshe replies in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3, But Moshe said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Mitzrayim? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Mitzrayim, you shall worship God at this mountain. So, this is an extremely important statement here that he's saying. Not only does he see it and he's heard about it, but the Lord is saying, I will be with you. Ehiyah. And that's a very important, um, that's the, the verb to be, but it is also uh, the future form the continuing the imperfect it hasn't been uh, brought to a completion it is a continuing existence the is that is the will be so i will be with you and what does that sign that the lord is with them when he's brought the people out of misraim and then they not only just bring them out and say good luck but then leading them to the mountain of God, to worship God at the mountain. So it is freedom with direction and purpose. And that is the sign that the Lord is with them, with them not only in the deliverance, but with them in the direction and everything that happens to get the people out from the initial freedom that we're going to see about with the, the first Passover, but also the deliverance in the sea, the provisions uh, with water, with, with then manna, the daily bread, moving them up to the mountain, and then beyond the mountain, going all the way into this land that he had talked about flowing with milk and honey. So, continuing on here in chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then... Moshe said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they will say to me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to him? God said to Moshe, I am who I am, or Ehieh Asher Ehieh. 
And I, uh, or another way it could be phrased is, I will be who I will be. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am, or Ehiyah, has sent you, sent me to you. God, furthermore, said to Moshe, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzhak, and the God of Yaakov has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial, my zakhar, for all generations. So remember that active remembering? That active remembering is something, is, um, this is the now the, you could say the noun form of this, is the act of remembering, this is memorial, is from door to door, from generation to generation. Each generation will pick this up and memorialize that name to the next generation. And again, the following generation to the generation following throughout time. So each generation, in a sense, is meeting the Lord as they move along, as they read the words, as they see how this continual deliverance from this first moments when Avraham was called out of that land to become the special people, that this deliverance continues and it goes from generation to generation to generation. Now, uh, one of the key things that we see here in this name description is the will be. I will be. First, he was saying to Moshe, it's like, okay, not only am I sending you, but I will be with you. So then this declaration of the memorial name, the Zachar to the people of Israel is, I will be who I will, who I will be. And I will be with you throughout all of your travels. So then, continuing on, uh, it's a little bit of a thing, a preview of what we will see um, several weeks from now in Exodus chapter 33, where we encounter the, this name and explained out in fullness, uh, starting in verses uh, 12 through 16. Then Moshe said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. Now therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the people, other people who are upon the face of the earth? And this is incredibly important thing, this, this conversation between Moshe and the Lord here, is that, let me know your ways, that I may know you. So, how do we know who the Lord is? Not just an, an idea that we kind of come up with uh, a, a cute little Hallmark card version of who the Lord is. The Lord reveals who he is. 
and describes and not only describes but shows and promises and then follows up with the promises with the continual um, living through your life and being there from generation to generation. But we see here also in this particular case with Moshe that he's saying, my presence shall go with you. So you've seen this progression from uh, going back to uh, the experience in a sort of way with what you saw with Avraham, where Avraham is described that he was a friend of God and he spoke with God face to face. Here you have that going back to that experience of the presence of the Lord going with them. And we will see it explained eventually in some chapters going forward and after this one here in Exodus, what that presence will be with the tabernacle where the dwelling place of God, the presence of God will be in the midst of the camp among mankind. So, later on in this particular passage, uh, skipping down and going on to uh, verse 17 through 19, the Lord said to Moshe, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moshe said, I pray you, show me your glory, show me your kavod, show me the weightiness of you. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to you whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. So, when this, this request from Moshe, show me your glory, then he says, uh, the Lord replies to him, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. So, skipping down into chapter 34, verses 5 through 7, we see the proclamation of the name. While Moshe, his body is kept uh, from the, the radiance and the glory, the weight of the presence of the Lord, here he hears what the Lord proclaims is the name, the reputation, what the zahar of the Lord is from generation to generation. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So, what you see here is that in the Lord's Zahar, in what the Lord is memorialized as from generation to generation, you see the balance of uh, trustworthiness that he's doing what he's doing out of loving kindness and truth and also including with that loving kindness is forgiving iniquity outright rebellion transgression you know more willful uh, disobedience and sin you know an oversight or um, a misstep so the whole spectrum there yet by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So, you see here the balance of it is that he is um, wanting this chesed, his loving kindness, and his emet, his truth, 
these are the things that are the the white in the world to the black the things that are true to those things that are not true the loving kindness the chesed the loyalty the faithfulness to that which is untrustworthy unfaithful and a part of that that loving kindness is those who want to go from iniquity transgression and sin to the presence of the lord he will forgive those things but those who don't want to go he won't leave the guilty unpunished to just not only wreak havoc on themselves but on their families and on society and the world and in the in the totality of it so that is the remembrance the memorial of the lord and wrapped up into the reputation of the lord from generation to generation so going back and we'll see when we get to a passage here but um it goes along with what we're seeing, being able to see as the Lord sees over the horizon and beyond. Just a little snippet from the Song of the Sea and Exodus chapter 15, just after they crossed the Red Sea. We'll see this again in a couple of weeks. Verses 14 through 18. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever, or le'olam va'ed is what that says here, forever and ever, over the horizon, beyond what we can see, and beyond, and the time beyond that. So, these echoes that we see are also the victory that the Lord will bring on the day of the Lord, the consummation that day sometime in the future when all of the pain, the iniquities, the transgressions, and the sins that will all, that that's legacy of the moving away from the creator of heaven and earth, when all that is brought to an end. Then we will see here, as it's described in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, of his Mashiach, his anointed, and he will reign forever and ever. So, again, over the horizon and beyond. And going on beyond that, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, when we have the dwelling place of god coming down and being among mankind so that truly again just like we had seen before when moshe was saying don't make us go on alone okay we've come to the mountain we've come to your presence but don't make us go on into the land uh, without you here we have the consummation of all things where truly the dwelling place of god becomes with mankind what was foretold there with the tabernacle being in the midst of the people 
Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, gilding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no longer be any night, and they will not have need for the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will loom them, and they will reign forever and ever, over the horizon and beyond, beyond what we can see, and into the time beyond that. But one of the key things that is seen here is that this tree of life is also for the healing of the nations because um, we get this this picture of uh, also earlier on this passage we're seeing that he will wipe away the tears that there'll be no more tears no more death and suffering the former things will not be remembered anymore but that will involve healing. That will involve the former things, the pain, the turmoil, the anger, all of those things to be healed, that we let those things go. So as we are thinking about the future and where we go on the road, are we going to be so consumed with the things of the here and now, the nations that pop up, the nations that go down. But we're not ignorant of them. We're not indifferent or apathetic to them because we see from the example of our predecessors of uh, Hadassah, Esther, Mordecai, of Daniel, of Yosef. We see these people who have been in the realm of not-so-great empires but they have served because they were given a view, le'alam va'ed, over the horizon and beyond. You know, Daniel was given that, that picture of view uh, through the prophet uh, Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, that this thing was going to last 70 years, that that was Israel's big time out, or the kingdom of Yehuda at least. That was their time out before the restoration would start up again. But they were like, okay, what are we going to do? And like Yeshua is saying, you know, blessed are the ones who will be found, you know, various translations say, occupying until I come. What are we going to be involved with? There are the things of this, of this planet there are the places that we are put into positions to deal with. There are the, the realms of influence that we can from small places up to large places. Wherever we are at, we can carry the Zahar, the memorial of the Lord, the Lord's character, the Lord's great works, the Lord's deliverance of us, what, what the Lord has done in our lives, what he's done in our family's lives, what he's done in Israel's life, how he's done that through the deliverers, the faithfulness, 
and also revealing himself as the I will be who I will be. The I will be. I will be there. The Lord who shows up. Isn't I guess another way you could say that? The Lord who has shows up has shown up, the Lord who does show up, and the Lord who will show up from generation to generation. So the key thing is what are we going to do to occupy until he comes? And is that Rose's hand I see? I guess un unmute things there. Uh, Deborah, on your end, if you have a question. I saw someone. Ta oh, is that Rose? Hey, Rose. <laughs> Waving at Yosef, yes. Ah, yes. Well, are there any other uh, questions that anyone has? Any comments, observations, before we close things out here today? Ah, Sh Shay, you have a comment here? Um, I just, you know, the question that I kind of formulated in my mind before I came to Shabbat today has to do with my work and how I'm speaking to so many people from all over the world. My question was, I mean, it's, what do I tell people? I mean, there's all kinds of things I could tell people, but really the core of what they want to know is what's going to happen and what do I do? Because they know that something monumental is happening. They know something, you know, out of this world is happening and they're ready to hear what it is. And so on the one hand, there's the whole thing of, well, if you stay behind in Egypt, it's not going to go well for you. And that's not an easy thing to say to people. But on the other hand, you know, if you, if you put the blood on your door and you go when he says go, you'll be all right. So <laughs> just trying to find ways to encourage people. You know, there's believers in Portugal. There's still there's believers in China, but they're, they're uh, baby believers, if you will. I mean, they're, 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 um, they're uh, nominal, you know, they're not really, really paying attention. So, um, and then there's those who have never heard of the name of Jesus, and yet they're asking these questions. So, my question to you all is, I'm a visual and audio learner, and, and if anybody wants to just give me, like, what would you say to somebody if they said, do you think the year 2020 is going to, 21 is going to get better? Do you think things are going to get better? Do you think things are getting worse? You know, what would you say in light of our Torah portion today? One of the, the key things to remember is um, it doesn't matter if 2021 is worse. The, the key thing, they give people hope. And you've seen it from the testimony of martyrs throughout time, the testimony of Daniel when he was in, in Babylon and then Persia, he just depended. He knew where the source of strength was. And he went to his window and he prayed. No matter what edict came down, because he knew where the source of strength comes from, from generation to generation. And the, the key thing that we, we all have to learn is how are we, as 
Rose was talking about earlier about becoming a Klingon, clinging on, cleaving, and hanging on to God that no matter what happens around us, or as the, the Mashiach put it with his parable of you know, building a house on sand or on a rock, you build a house on the rock, the tour of Israel, the rock of Israel, that will not move no matter what happens. No matter what happens around it, you see that testimony of martyrs, of people who have endured a whole lot worse than what we're dealing with right now throughout time. That is what they depend on, the things that don't move. And that goes with them. The tour of Israel, the rock of ages, is there when you're in prison, you know, when you're in bankruptcy, whether you're in good times, bad times, that rock does not move. Yet, that's kind of the, the interesting thing that the, some of the uh, sages get at is it's a rock that does not move, yet it does move. It moves with you. That rock cannot be moved by anything that happens around it, but that rock will move with you. And that will be with you. If you want it to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, the, the key lesson is to learn about the one who does not move. What is the character of the one who does not move? The things that are true, the things, the things that are chesed, the things that are emet, the things that are true, the things that are faithful, that are loyal. Oh, uh, Daniel, sorry, you're uh, regarding the <clears throat> my kids. It's 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 almost you could argue, uh, not not that it is unfair, but it's kind of you know. Uh, uh, the end results, the proof kind of thing. When God said, your sign that I'm with you will be after you've completed all the jobs I gave you. <laughs> Essentially, when you successfully did it, I, I was with you. <laughs> but between now and then, you're walking out on faith. <laughs> and, you know, Daniel, you bring up a very interesting point, is that what do you see continually over and over and over again in the Gospels? That when it happened, they remembered that he had said, or that it was written in the prophets. They're like, Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's like you have to walk through these things first. You may not get clued in until after it happens. That's a whole part of you know, getting the vision, Leolam Vaed, is that you may have to walk past it over the horizon to be able to look back over the horizon to see what happened. <laughs> you did it. It's like, wait a minute. What yeah. happened? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> there, there was a, a, a booklet that I was reading the kids. Uh, I haven't finished yet. Uh, regarding uh, uh, um, uh, history in the, the last 200 years or so of, of Israel's history, uh, developing into what they are now. Um, and it, because it spans so many generations, you don't notice it. When you, when you condense it, wait a minute, the last you know, 10 generations or so, what's happened and how has Israel, as a nation, as it slowly developed it from nothingness and from a wasteland into what it is today, the say, oh, wow, this is a miracle. Yeah, because when we're walking through it one step at a time, you don't notice how you got there. Um, but then when you look back, it's like, wait a minute, where did I come from? Holy cow, what's happened? And you see it all as a combined thing. It's like, oh, this is why the Bible writes in this fashion. <laughs> writes in a, we're going to make it look like it's really condensed events, so back to back to back. But reality is it takes generations to go through. And you don't notice you reached the horizon. And I have a new one to look at. And so you look back and I was, wait a minute, I came from way, way back there. I can't even see where I came from. 
<laughs> that it's so far away. But that's kind of how it works, though. It's interesting. Yeah, even yeah, even now now in, in my forties, looking back twenty years twenty years ago, it's like oh, that's where did I come from? Wow, <laughs> a long way last twenty years, and then so it, it, yeah, you see God's hand in, in in the process of how you got there. Yeah, wow, that's great. It's, it's interesting to watch, but I think that works for every one of us. Yeah, just looking back where you came from, how did I get here when I was in my teenage years? Like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow we made it like, hey, without that, that could not happen unless God was with you, but you wouldn't notice it along the way. And I, that, that's the fascinating part that God said, yeah, your, your proof is the end. Mm-hmm. Just going to walk out and see what happens. It's, it's fascinating. Anyway. And one of the chilling things also is that that, um, it can also go the other direction. You know, a downfall can happen in a moment, but it is usually preceded by lots of little incremental things that you won't notice until the downfall happens and you wonder, well, what happened? Well, it was coming. You see that with Israel right leading up to the exiles. The warning signs were there all the way from <laughs> The, the early days before you know, before they wanted a king and when they were calling for a king, then it became obvious, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> how, did I get, how did I get here? This is not yes. the direction I wanted. Exactly. That's the right. other horizon I wasn't looking for. Yeah. 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 It's interesting journeys. Any other thoughts here before we close things out here today? All right. Well, let's uh, close with prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us the testimony of all your servants throughout time. And Father, we just ask that you help us to see as you see, to see other people as you see them, to get your view, Le'olam Va'ed, so that we don't get so stuck in the things of the moment, the things that are involved with us at the moment, but we see what you're doing in our lives, and we see what you see and where you want to take us. Father, we just ask that you not only encourage us, but guide us in being encouragement to others about these things, that we can help other people see over the horizon, to give them hope in the the things that are, the things that have been, and the things that will be. And Father, we thank you for, for your character, the memorial that you are the one who forgives our iniquities and transgressions and sins and remembers them no more. We thank you for doing all this through the blood of your son, Yeshua. We thank you in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.